Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. You may be seated. You are my everything. That's what we were just saying. Like, is he? Is, is he our everything? Yes. Is, thank you, yes. That's, that's got to be our answer again and again and again because there are so many other things that can be our things. And, and, and Jesus can either turn into one thing among many or, or for, for some out there, for some that, that we're walking with, that we're walking around, he's nothing. Does that grieve us this morning? That there's people walking around that, that, that he is nothing to. As we call and, and follow him and answer his call and seek for him to be our everything, that's, that's why we want, to, we want to be stripped away of anything else that we would put in place of him. Of anything else that we might follow him faithfully, that, that we might see him as Lord, everything. And that's, that's our hope this morning. That's our prayer this morning, that we would see him as everything. And, and that's when we see him as everything, we, then, then we walk as light, right? Then we walk as light to a world around us who doesn't see him as everything, maybe doesn't even see him at all. So that's my hope, that's my prayer this morning, that we would see the everything that he is to us. And we're, we're going to continue this morning in Genesis. Uh, before we do that, I just want to point to one thing that this year, man, it's flying, right? We have, we have Easter coming up already. Easter is about four weeks away, and we've got, we've got cards out there that have information about our Easter and our Good Friday services. And I just encourage you to take those with you. You can stop by the Connection Center this morning, grab some, take them with you, and hand them out to neighbors, hand them out to friends, to coworkers. Who, who might be holding back, who maybe are, are, are still kind of watching online, who, who, who might not even attend at all, and hand them out and, and invite them that they might come, that they might know that everything he is to you. So, so those are out there this morning, and um, I would encourage you to take some with you. Let me, just, uh, let me just pray one more time before we go into God's word this morning. Lord, as we open your word today, we're humbled as we should be every time. This is a word that we don't deserve to hear and yet you're pursuing us and reaching out to us and so you call us through your word. You're, you are seeking a people who follow after you, God, and we long to be that people. We declare we are that people, so Lord, lead us this morning. Lead our hearts this morning to surrender more fully to you. Lead our, our, our minds this morning to, to lay down distraction. And lay down anything else but to, but to focus on you, Lord, that you might have your way in us. God, you are good this morning, no matter what we feel. You are good this morning. We know it. 
We believe it, Lord. Help our unbelief. So, Lord, we ask you to move in this time to speak to us through your word that we might hear and then we might continue to be changed more and more into your image, Lord. Change us, O God. We beg, Lord. God, we ask your word to have its way in us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Genesis chapter 8. Last week, uh, Pastor Mark uh, talked about Noah and preached about how uh, Noah um, was led by God to build an ark and the flood came. And and in that time, we learned um, that, that God was giving a window of mercy in the life of Noah. He was giving a window of mercy to people to respond to his goodness. And that's a window that we're, we're living in a window today of God's mercy. That's, that's what Jesus said. Today is like the days of Noah. And people are going about their lives, and yet he's calling to them. He's inviting them. And we, sometimes we look at this world and how bad is it going to get before Jesus comes back? Do you know why he hasn't come back? Because God's patient. Because this is a window of mercy. And he's calling to us, he's calling to you to respond, to respond to him as Lord and everything. And he's calling to others. And this is the window of mercy. And, and then as we respond to him, it, it's possible, do you know it's possible to live in this world, to live in this culture that is completely opposed to to the will and ways of the God that we're following. It's possible to live a life standing firm on truth in that. And if you don't believe it, you can look at the life of Noah. That's what we did last week. Look at Noah's life. And he stood, his was the only family in the midst of a culture, in the midst of a people, whose hearts and minds and every heart, every thought was set on nothing but evil all the time. And yet Noah stood and lived by the power of the God who was pursuing him in response and and stood firm, walking faithfully with God in that time. And, And so it's possible for us, by the grace of God, to walk faithfully even in this dark time. And then then we saw the ark as a place where God's justice and love meet, just like the cross. Where God's justice meets against our sin and his mercy meets us in that place and calls to us. His mercy meets us there and calls to us. And so last last week as we talked about the flood, I'm going to back up just a minute into chapter 7. And here's what it said. Chapter 7, starting at verse 11, it said this. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. The floodgates of the heavens were opened. And, and, and that was the very day that Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. And then it says this, then the Lord shut him in. See, they went in, all the animals, Noah and his family, they went in. And the, I want you to imagine that moment. As they're in the ark, all the noises, all the, the smells, the animals making noise. And in that moment, that ramp maybe that they walked up, whatever was the door, began to creak. And no one visible touched it, but God did. And he shut the door. 
And imagine that door slam. And there they are, maybe silence for a moment. Maybe even the animals know something massive is about to happen. Silence, darkness, and then the pitter-patter of rain as it starts. Drop after drop. And then it turns into a torrent. And it turns into a flood. For 40 days and 40 nights, the storm rages and the ark lifts off where it was perched and it spins and it's carried on currents. Random currents out of control. Chaos. Imagine that. And, and, and some of us, for some of us, maybe that sounds familiar. That slam, that darkness, that place where the door shut and sealed on what seems like a dark season of our lives. What started as a hard day turns into a hard month, turns, in, turns into hard months, turns into hard years. And we're in this, this dark season, this wilderness, and we're wondering how long is this going to go on? How long is it going to be until this ends? How long until something changes? Maybe depression, anxiety, sleeplessness set in, whatever it is. Some of us, many of us maybe have experienced those seasons where there's that slam of the door and it's darkness. And those are the seasons you wonder, how do people make it through without God? Right? How do people make it through without Jesus? And yet sometimes, even if you're following Jesus, sometimes it even feels harder because, Lord, aren't you supposed to be in this? Aren't you supposed to be here? Aren't you supposed to be working? God didn't... Imagine Noah in that place. Didn't God provide this ark? Didn't God provide this way? And yet the storm keeps on going. And those are seasons that we wonder where God is. And platitudes aren't going to help. And slogans aren't going to help. And warm thoughts don't help. And I'm so glad that the Bible doesn't avoid this. I'm so glad that scripture speaks right to this, right in our seasons of need, right in our seasons of hopelessness. So many times, let me show you one, Psalm 13. David wrote this psalm when enemies were surrounding him, and he says this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. You're the only hope, God. And if you don't answer, I'm going to sleep in death and my enemy will say, I overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. See, David was facing these physical enemies, big guys and swords, surrounding him. We don't have those, but we've got enemies, don't we? We've got enemies, and I don't know what's coming to your mind right now, but listen, they're not flesh and blood. I hope it's not a face coming to your mind right now, because that's not the enemy. The the word says that our enemy, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers in this dark world. Principalities of evil in the heavenly places. This is what we wrestle against. And Noah had this literal storm that came against him. And it was was a storm as a result of sin of those around him. 
His own sin too, he wasn't a perfect man. And this storm came around and, and we can be at the, we can experience in our lives the, the, the consequence that God allows us to experience the consequence of other sin in our lives. We can still go through these seasons and we say, how long, Lord? Don't you imagine Noah must have been thinking that? As the rain kept pouring, here's where, it, here's where it goes. At the end of Genesis 7, it says this, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left. And those with him in the ark, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Didn't he have to be thinking, God, how long, Lord? Are you going to forget me forever? And then the next words are this. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered. But God remembered. In this place and in this darkness and how long, oh Lord, God remembered. Here's the thing you've got to remember. He didn't remember because we, he forgot. We can be in that place and we can wonder, God, did you forget have you forgotten? But, but the Bible doesn't say God remembered because he forgot. He, he never forgets. He never forgets his people. He doesn't forget you. Even if it feels like it, he remembers you where you are. The Bible, see, we, we're forgetters, aren't we? We're forgetters all the time. We, we go places and inevitably we come away from a place and my, my kids have forgotten something and we got to go back. And then I, I'm a forgetter too. I try to blame them, but I'm a forgetter too. My, the, the, the phrase you'll hear most often in my house from me is, where's my water bottle? Every time I go, some, I forget my water bottle. My kids, now, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Tim. Yeah, my, my kids know to keep an eye on where dad's water bottle is because inevitably I'm going to ask. My sister, one Christmas, she got, you know those GPS finders for your keys? Those little things you can, she got me one of those and relabeled it a water bottle finder. So that I can find it around the house. I still haven't used it. I don't know why. But every day, we're forgetters, aren't we? But God is not a forgetter, amen? He, he doesn't forget. No matter what it feels like, he doesn't forget. So it doesn't say God remembered because he forgot. It says God remembered because there's, it wants us to tell us the way he remembered. Be, because you can remember or you can remember. Think about this. Uh, my, uh, my wife and I, our, our anniversary comes around every year. And, and I can go through that and I can remember my anniversary. I can go through that in that week. And we, we don't do a lot of big stuff for our anniversary. We actually kind of keep it low key. We go out, to go out to a nice dinner. That's it. Have a, have a card and we write, we, we just take time to just thoughtfully write a, a, a love letter to each other for, for every anniversary in a, in a card. And we keep it real simple. And, and there's times, so do you know what I can do is I can remember my anniversary and it doesn't take a whole lot. I get to that week and I can, I can get a card, I can schedule a dinner, all of that, and I can remember that. And, and some years are like that for both of us. There was one year my, my, my wife, she, so we just had our third kid and we were tired. I mean, you know how that is. You have a, and it, parents, like, you have a, and you're just in that season that is exhausting. And how long, Lord, right? <laughs> How long is this going to go on? And, and, and so, but, but I remembered our anniversary and I got the card and I wrote the letter and, it, and, I, and, and we exchanged cards and I opened my wife's card and I opened it to read the letter and there's one sentence in there. 
And it just says, babe, you've no, you know, I've been so exhausted lately, but I love you with all my heart, period. <laughs> I'm so glad for that because on the, the, the years that I just remember our anniversary and I just get, a, I, I just, I feel like I'm not doing enough. I just, rem- well, God, babe, you remember that card? <laughs> see, see, we can remember our anniversary or we can remember our anniversary. I can plan ahead. I can plan months ahead and I've got, I've, I've ordered the special gifts and planned ahead for the dinner that you've got to schedule months ahead. We can remember our anniversary. And as many years as I remember really well, I'm only playing catch up to my wife because she's so good at remembering and celebrating those she loves, those in our family. Because we can remember and put the work in and put our heart behind remembering what we remember. See, there's two different kinds of ways to remember. And and when it says God remembered, it's telling us that God remembered the second kind of way, the kind that that, that puts the work in in advance. This this word remember, the Hebrew word is, I'm going to say zakar. It's not actually the way you say it. The K is a, it's it's a, you got to pretend you're going to spit and I can't even say the word like that. So, but, but I'll say zakar. And it's remembering, but it's not just remembering. It's not just remembering where my water bottle is. Or it's not just remembering that thing I forgot. It, when, it, when it says remember, the Hebrew word, it's remember in a way of showing affection for. Listen, listen, when I remember really well our anniversary or a birthday of somebody, else, it's because I love them. It's not because it's a duty. It's not because I have to. It's because I want to, because I love them. It's because I, I, I like them. My, 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 there's this joke in my family because when my daughter was five years old, uh, I was putting her to bed one night, and, and I said, honey, I love you. And she said, dad, I like you. I was like, like, really? And, and you think that's less? And, and then I started thinking about it. I was like, wait a no, wait a second, she likes me. <laughs> She's not saying she loves me because I'm her, her dad and she has to say. She, she likes me. She likes being around me. She likes who I am. Even on the days when she doesn't like who I am, she likes me because I'm her dad. Do you know God likes you? Listen to me. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He doesn't love you because it's a theological necessity. He likes you. He knows you. He made you. He's pursuing you. He wants you to be in relationship with him because he likes you. And so when it says God remembers us, it's saying God is pursuing us with passion. He likes it. He really wants you in relationship with him. And, and then this, when it, when it says God remembers, it's not just he's pulling up something from his memory banks. It always includes action. When in the Hebrew it says remember, it always includes a follow-up action. Because I'm remembering, it's never a passive act. It's putting my lips and my hands and my feet toward remembering. And this we see again and again in Scripture. It says in Later in Genesis, Genesis 19, 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And it's not a period, it's a comma. He remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe. He remembered and he did something. 
Genesis 30, 22. Then God remembered Rachel. And the sentence doesn't end there. It's not a period, it's a comma. God remembered Rachel and he listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She was crying out to him and God remembered her and he did something. See, when God remembers, he moves. And, and, and this is what he does in Genesis one, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him on the ark, and he sent the wind over the earth, and the waters receded. God remembered, and he did something. Do you need God to move in your life? Are you in a season where it's how long, oh Lord? Are you in a season where, God, have you forgotten me? He hasn't forgotten We call on him to remember you. We look through, through scripture and Moses and Samson and Hezekiah and Nehemiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk. They all prayed these prayers that said, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. Don't just think about me. Move on my behalf. How do you need God to move on your behalf today? And we can see that through scripture all the way to the cross. There's a thief hanging on a cross beside Jesus. And he says, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, don't just think about me. Move on my behalf, please. And that's why Jesus' response isn't, I'll think about you. Yeah, you're going to cross my mind. Jesus says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. When God remembers, he moves. How do you need God to move today in your life? We call on him to remember. To remember you, to remember the situation, to remember those around you. Call, call on him to remember. Lord, Lord God, I, I just lift up every heart and mind in this place, and I don't know what places they're in, but you know, Lord. You know the places we find ourselves in today, and God, many of us might find ourselves in this place where, where we are saying, how long, O oh Lord? Have you forgotten? Lord, we pray together now, remember us. Remember your people. Remember us. God, remember us and move. Move on our behalf. Move through in your will. Move in your ways, Lord. God, remember. Lord, we bring to mind now those areas of our lives that we need you to move in, that we long for you to show your goodness in, and we invite you, we ask you, we plead with you, God, remember And as we bring these things to mind, Lord, we offer them up to you. And we say, Lord, that we trust you today. And we trust you to not have forgotten us. Lord, remember and move on our behalf. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. 
So we've gotten through four words of the chapter so far. <laughs> but God remembered Noah. And then it says this, and he sent a wind. He sent a wind. He just didn't get rid of the waters. It says he sent a wind. And that, that Hebrew word for wind is ruah. And listen to this. It's the very same word that back in Genesis 1, in the first few verses, when it says there was water all about, and there was nothing but water over the whole earth, it says what? But God's spirit hovered over the waters. That word for spirit, it's the same word for wind. Ruah. In the midst of that chaos, in the midst of the flood, in the midst of the waters over the earth, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the hopelessness, God's presence was there. And God's power moved his ruah. And so the author here is reminding us in chapter 8, he's purposely pointing back to let us know God's still there. Remember what he did before? He's doing it again. And it brings us to this place to remind us of creation in the first place. And that, that keeps going as we go on in Genesis chapter 8. Now the, now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed. And the rain had stopped falling from the sky. And the water receded steadily from the earth. Do you remember on day 2 when God took the waters above and the waters below and he separated them? It's pointing back to that image. And at the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. And the waters and the land were separated. And land came up out of the water. See, God's doing a creation again. And this is what he does throughout Genesis. Uh, again, I think it was A.W. Tozer, I'm not sure, uh, who, who pointed back to in, in Genesis and throughout Scripture. We see this pattern again of creation, of that there's generation, of God creating and bringing forth and bringing new. There's generation, and then there's degeneration. Like, like he's the author, he writes the story, and, and then we try to take the pen, and then it degenerates, and it dives down, and it spirals down, but then God moves, and there's regeneration. And he does a new thing. And he creates again. Because he's the same God. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're seeing this again. The waters separate. And, and this pointing back to a new creation starts, keeps going. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the waters had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark. And he saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. So here we are. When, when Noah entered the ark, it said he was 600 years old and two months and 17 days. That's how old he was. 600 years, two months and 17 days. And now here comes the day where God is about to say, come out of the ark. And it says Noah is 601 years and two months and 27 days old. So this is one year and 10 days later. How long, oh Lord, that's how long the season was for Noah. But God remembered, and one year and ten days later, he says, come out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds and the animals and the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. You see, God's bringing things new again. 
Bring all the creatures, all the kinds, the ones that crawl, the ones that fly. Bring them and let them all multiply and be fruitful. It's a new creation. And, and he's calling them out. So Noah walks out of the ark. And he's walking out of this ark. The, the remember last week, Pastor Mark said this, this ark was Christ. This, that our ark is Christ. Uh, Christ is our rescuer. He rescues us and saves us from the wrath and the consequences of sin. And he sets us free from that. Because the rescue isn't the end of the story. There's also life to come after that. It's not just that Jesus died for us. It's that he rose again. That's what we celebrate in a few weeks. It's that he rose again and that there's a new life coming. That there's a new life that, that this ark that, that rescues us, Noah then walks out of. And as Christ rescues us, we then walk in new life. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the devotional that we've been reading as a church together. Today's devotional, it pointed to this verse. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So it's not just that we've been crucified to our sin, crucified to our flesh, that we've joined, united with Christ in his death, but then we're united with him in resurrection. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul David Tripp says this, I place my faith in the fact that his death for me and his life within me, and I live on that basis. I live with peace, hope, and courage, but not because I understand all that's going on inside me or around me. It is because I have not only been forgiven, but I have been blessed with resources beyond my imagination because the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Creator Savior, now lives inside me. We don't just get rescued from our sin. Praise God your sins are forgiven. Now we get to walk in new life. Are you walking in new life? Are you aware that the life of Christ, he now lives in you if you're in him? It's a life we're called to live out. And so Noah and his family came out of the ark and what did they do? So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. And then it says, Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. So Noah comes out of the ark and the first thing he does is build an altar. And, and, and last week, Pastor Mark talked about how in Noah's life, the word righteousness shows up for the first time in the Bible. The word grace shows up the first time in the Bible. And, and here we're still in Noah's life, and the word altar shows up for the first time in the Bible. And, and we think, you know, there were probably other altars. Abel offered sacrifice. Others offered sacrifice. So there were probably other altars. But this is the first time it tells us that someone built an altar to God. And he takes those clean animals that the Lord told him to take, those extra animals, and sacrifices them. He takes those clean animals and sacrifices them. 
after he builds this place for them to be sacrificed on. He, he builds this altar, and altars, we're going to see again and again, come up throughout Scripture, throughout Genesis. Again and again, there's people building altars. And throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, the altar comes up again and again. And the, the altar was this. When, Noah, when it says Noah came out and he built an altar, what he was doing was he was setting aside a special place. He was setting aside a place, and he was putting, piling stones together, or piling up dirt to create this flat space where he could sacrifice to the Lord, to offer sacrifices to God. And what did he do there? Why did he do that? As we read through and learn about altars in the, throughout the Old Testament, it, there's lots of purposes that go behind it. It's not just about offering sacrifices for a sin. It is that. And it's more. It's to celebrate a time when God showed up. You see people building altars for that, to thank God for what he's done. I think that's why Noah is building an altar right now. Because the Lord rescued him out of all of this and his family out of all of this. And to see what God has done and to thank him for that. And, and an altar is built then to seek the Lord, to call on the name of the Lord. And, and to confess and repent, to sacrifice for sin and confess and repent. And, and to consecrate ourselves to God, to set, set apart not just a place, but to set apart ourselves to God. This is why altars were built, because God calls us to be a people who are set apart for him. Do you know that? Like in this new life that we walk out, he calls us to be a people that are set apart for him. And, and as we're set apart for him, we distance ourselves from the things of this world, and he becomes our Lord, and that's how, that's how we live with him as our everything. And you know what they did with an altar so many times is it rarely tells us they took it down. Like, they, they built this altar, and they left it there. And then it even tells us there's other people in the, in the Bible, Abraham and others, who have built an altar, and they come back. What do they come back to do? They come back to celebrate again, to thank God again, to seek God again, to confess and repent again, to consecrate themselves again. And they come back to the altar again. And again, and again, and again, and again. Because setting up an altar is not just a one-time thing. Setting up an altar happens again and again and again. We come back there because we serve a God who remembers us. And as God remembers us, our response is to remember him again and again and again. To remember him in a way that puts action behind our words. In a way that puts action behind our remembering. That, that shows that we have affection for God. And so we come back to celebrate a time when God showed up to thank God for what he's done, to seek him, to confess and repent, to consecrate. This was an altar in the Old Testament. Listen, do you have an altar? Do we have an altar in our lives? We need to. As we seek the Lord, we need to find an altar in our lives and set up, set up a place, maybe not a physical place, but maybe a, a, a place that we come back to again and again and again in our hearts to, to do these things, to respond to his love, to respond to God's remembering. And this is, you know, out there, we haven't talked about it recently a whole lot, but out, out there in the lobby, there's this map. There's a, there's a map of this region, and it's a prayer altars map. And it, it's a call for us in this body to set up an altar. 
to set up a place to respond to a God who remembers us. And, and there's these commitment cards next to the, the map. So I don't know if you've been around for Grace for a while. Maybe you've already filled one of these out years ago and put a, put a pin in the map for where your home is that, it, that represents an altar set up in our community, a, a prayer altar to the Lord. Or maybe, maybe you haven't set one up before. There's, there's commitment cards out there next to the map. There's some at the Connection Center this morning as well. And, and they say this, because of God's love for me, I have given my life and lordship, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, he's become my everything. In response to his love, I'm committed to spending daily, persistent, and passionate time with him in prayer. I'm committed to the following in establishing my heart, my family, and my home as an altar of prayer to the Lord. I will spend at least 30 minutes daily in God's word and prayer. See, I'm, I'm setting part of time. A specific time. Doesn't matter when it is in the day, but I'm setting apart a time. Maybe, maybe it doesn't start with 30 minutes for you, but maybe it starts with five. That I'm going to dedicate this five or this 10 or this 15 or this 30 minutes that I'm going to come every day before the Lord. I'll spend at least 30 minutes daily in God's word and prayer. I have set apart a location in my home for the purpose of prayer. Do you know space matters? The reason people set up altars in scripture is because space matters. Matters. Location matters. We, we, we've kind of lost a sense of place in our culture today. We move so much. We, we move around to different churches. We move around to different homes. We move around to all these places. Move around to different workplaces. So many of you are now working from home, not even going to a place to work. We've lost a sense of place in our culture. And yet place matters in our minds and hearts. It does something in our minds and hearts when we set apart a place. And so this call to set up a prayer altar is a call to set apart a place in your home. Maybe just specific, maybe it's a prayer closet, a place to go into that this is always for prayer. Or maybe it's where other things happen in your home too, but you come and this is the place you always come to set apart this time to the Lord. I have set apart a location in my home for the purpose of prayer. And then it says this, I will commit to prayer throughout my day as the Holy Spirit prompts me. See, it's not supposed to stay there. This remembering, this responding that we do at the altar is not just supposed to stay in that 30 minutes. It's something we carry throughout our day. That sets a tone for our day, for our lives, where we carry this all the way through. Moment to moment, abiding in him. Do you know, you know when they finally, when the, nation of Israel finally got to a place where they built a temple and they put an altar there. You know what they were supposed to do with the altar? There were priests who served 24-7 and they kept the altar fires burning all the time. They never stopped. The fire never went out. See, see the reason we call it a prayer altar is because the idea is we, we start lighting this fire. We start igniting this fire. We blow on those embers that have maybe started to go out. And then the fire keeps going and we grow in our passion for Jesus, in our passion of walking in God's presence, in our passion of doing all these things that we do as we come to the altar. He says, I will pray faithfully for my family and friends. I will pray faithfully for the work of God at Grace Fellowship Church, Shrewsbury, and in the regions surrounding her. I'm going to pray not just for myself, but for my family, for those around me, for things going on in their lives, for things going on in my church, for things going on in the churches around the region, for things going on globally in the church of Jesus Christ. 
because the fire is growing. I'm setting this before him. It says, I will grow in my ability to pray effectively with authority against Satan and his demons and his schemes to kill, steal, and destroy. See, as I pray, I'm praying against the enemy. I'm praying against that enemy that has come against our souls, that enemy that Scripture says we have that is not flesh and blood, but I'm praying against him. Folks, we forget this about prayer because it can feel so passive. Prayer is war. Do you know that prayer is war? Prayer is war. You turn to Ephesians 6, and that's where it tells us that our enemy is not flesh and blood, right? And then you know what it tells us to do? It tells us to put on armor, armor that God gave us, a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, shoes made with the gospel of peace. Take him up a shield of faith and a sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It says, get dressed for battle because you've got an enemy. And once you're dressed for battle, it says, go out and charge. No, it doesn't. It says, now that you're dressed for battle, take aim and fire. No, it doesn't. It says, now that you're dressed for battle, the next order, words from Paul are pray. Pray. Why do I need to be dressed in armor to pray? Because it's warfare. Do you want something to move and change in the life and in the world around you? Go to war. Go to war and pray. Are you praying on behalf of those in your lives? Are you praying not just for your life to change, but for those around you? Are you praying for his church in this region and globally? Are you praying for the war across the world? I know so many of us are. Do we keep praying? Do we keep the fire burning on these prayers? Because the war is still going on. He hasn't come back yet. The war is still going on. So are we praying? That's... that's, why we set him an altar. Not just a place in our homes, a place in our hearts where the fire keeps burning. And then, here's the thing, it's not just me, it's community. As we set up these altars, it's community. Here's the, the last two things on this card are, I will encourage anyone else who lives in my home, family or friends, to join me. I'll model a life of dependence on prayer and invite them to join me regularly in prayer. And I will seek out accountability with another follower of Jesus to remain faithful to my commitment. This this prayer is intended. It's not just getting in your prayer closet. It is also getting in community. And and, and these altars that we build are not just in our homes, are not just in our hearts, but in our, our places as we gather. So build an altar in your house church. You pray regularly as a house church, lifting up concerns for you and for the world around you. you In in men's ministry, it's an altar. In women's ministry, it's an altar. Every time God's people gather to pray, on Wednesday nights here in this room, we gather to pray. It's an altar as we gather together as God's people to lift his name high, to pray for our needs, to ask him to remember and move, to go to war. Are you praying? And I, and I know commitment can sound like a big thing. So, so here's the thing. I don't need to accomplish the above perfectly, but I only long to ser- seek and serve him faithfully. That's why we build these altars. We're going to forget. We're going to walk away and going to fall out of a pattern at some point because we're broken and we're frail people. 
And yet we can come back and rebuild. So I don't know about you. Maybe you've been here for a lot of years and you've, I want to encourage you if you've never built an altar, go out and check out this card, pray over it. And if you feel led to build an altar in your heart, in your home, just setting aside time and place in your heart to him, fill out the card, put a pin in the map, and you're another altar in this community. And and if maybe like me and my wife, you, you already have a pin in the map, had one there for years, we, we did this when we went through the prayer altar series. We, we did this years ago, and we had this room in our house, and it was an altar, let me tell you. It, it was this room that we would go to on our need, that we would go to when we were desperate, that we would go to it when we were joyful, that we would go to it when we would celebrate, and then you know what happened? We moved. <laughs> we lost the altar, and we moved into a rental place. And do you know what I realized? We hadn't set up an altar again. We hadn't set up a place. We hadn't dedicated a spot, dedicated our home in this specific way to say, God, we're seeking you and setting up an altar. So I would invite you, if your pin's already in the map, rebuild. Do you need to rebuild? Man, there's so many seasons I go through in my life and I need to rebuild the altar in my home and my heart. Folks, rebuild the altar because the war is still going on. It's won, yes. And we're going to get to the win. But it's still going on, so build an altar. And so what happened when he built the altar? Last thing, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. See, see, they would offer sacrifices on the altar. And the image here, you know, it's just, it's to give us an idea of how God responds. He doesn't have a nose. God is spirit. And yet he's aware of the sacrifices and finds them pleasing at the altar. The same is true for us. It says in, in Revelation 5, it says this, that, that 24 elders fell down before the lamb. That lamb we sang about earlier, the only one who was worthy, 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were, they were holding golden bowls full of incense. Incense that let off a pleasing aroma to God. And you know what the incense was? It says it was the prayers of God's people. It was the prayers of God's people. This is how God responds to our prayers. He's pleased. And then it it, it says this, and he said in his heart, God said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. God is pleased by the prayers. He's pleased by Noah sacrificing to him, laying down for him, surrendering to him, thanking him, praising him. He's pleased by this, and his response is never again. Never again. See, see God's just looking for one. God's just looking for one who, who will surrender one who will lay down, one who will put themselves before him and and come and set themselves apart. He's just looking for one. And every single one of us, as we seek to do that, as we follow Jesus, we're going to do it imperfectly. Every single one, but there was one who did it perfectly. 
God's just looking for one. And he found the one in, in Jesus Christ. That was the only one who could do it, who would set himself apart perfectly for you, for me, and get up on the altar himself, get up on the cross and, and pay the debt of our sin, of our brokenness, of our rebellion, and call us back to himself. And as we respond to him, God's pleased when every one Every one of us respond to him imperfectly and yet respond. When Jesus offered himself, God said, never again. Never again is my wrath going to be poured out in this way. It's, it's, it's poured out now on Jesus Christ on the cross. Any sin you've committed, it was already covered by Jesus Christ on the cross, as you turn in to him in repentance, it's covered by the payment of Christ on the cross. He paid for us. He died for us. And he rose again that we might live in him. This is where I got remembered. And this is where he showed his mercy. And, and so I don't know what season you find yourself in this morning. Maybe, maybe it is one of those seasons that it's how long, O oh Lord. And you want to remind, God, I, I, I believe you can do something here, but help me in my unbelief. Folks, there was a problem that could not be fixed. There was no fix. And God himself came down and climbed up on a cross and fixed it. And rescued us. He remembered us. And he remembers you. And so if you're in this season, I just beg, as he remembers you, remember him. Trust him in this. I want to go back. This is the last thing. We're going to go back to Psalm 13. This is what we started with, right? Psalm 13, it said this. This is where David was. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Man, God remembers. He never forgets. He remembers. He never forgets. How long, Lord, will you hide your face from me? No, God remembers. And he, he's pleased. And his affection is for you. Look on me and answer, Lord my God, because David doesn't see it. He says this, God remembers and moves, though, on David. But before he does, David comes to this place in the psalm in his desperation, crying out, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He doesn't see the answer yet, but he ends with this, but I trust, but I trust. But God remembers, okay, here's my response, but I trust. But I trust in your unfailing love. Your mercy never fails me. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Listen, I don't know what season you're in today, but has the Lord been good to you? Have you seen him move on your behalf? Have you said, here's a point in my life where I, I can point back to, I can thank God for what he's done. He remembered me. Thank you, Lord. He responded on my behalf. He moved for me. And can we celebrate that? 
Even if we don't feel like celebrating. Because he's been good and he'll be good again. Because he's been faithful and he'll be faithful again. Can we go to the altar this morning? Can we remember him as he remembered us? And can we invite him? Say, Lord, thank you for your goodness and be good again. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. We don't always see it. When we don't see it, Lord, half the time it's because we're not looking. But there's times where the door's shut. Feels like the door is shut and we're in the season. It's how long, oh Lord, have you forgotten? And God, for any soul and any heart and mind that's in that place this morning, I lift them up to you. I ask, Lord, remember. As you've remembered and been faithful before, Lord, we ask you to remember and be faithful again because we know you are worthy, Lord. We know you are good, and we know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, I thank you that your mercy never fails, not once. And so we invite your mercy to move on our behalf. God, we know that your goodness is before us all the time. And so God, be good to us. And God, I pray that you would encourage every soul in here as we remember your goodness to go out and tell Because there's others in a dark place. There's others who don't remember. There's others who don't see your goodness, Lord. May we be a people who walk and tell of your goodness. God, we don't just come to this place to sing your goodness. Just just like we don't come to our closets to pray. God, we don't... Our our praise and our prayer is not... May it not be confined to one place. May it overflow into every place in our lives. That the fire is burning all the time, moment to moment. Lord, we cannot do this by our strength. It's only your power and your grace within us. So God, move. God, remember. God, be good. God, you're faithful. God, we celebrate your goodness. And we trust you for more this morning. In your name we pray, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Grace, would you stand to your feet and let's sing of the Lord's faithfulness again. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.